Welcome back to Composer Quest. I'm your host, Charlie McCarran, a composer in Minneapolis. And this show is my way of surveying every kind of composer, songwriter, and producer I can think of. In this episode, I bring you a Dutch dance music duo called Duct Tape. It's actually duct as in the past tense verb and ape as in monkey. And this duo is Shured Huisun and Tim Van Duren. Sorry if I'm pronouncing those wrong, guys. Tim was not present for this band meeting, but I did get to talk to Sheward and their band manager, Booty Voot. I've been watching a lot of Flight of the Concords lately, and it makes me think of Murray. But unlike Murray, Booty actually knows how to use the internet and run a successful label. It was a fun talk with these guys, and we cover everything from the state of Dutch music to some tricks they use for promoting their music. Booty also shares what he's listening for when artists send in their tracks in hopes that they'll be signed to his record label, Heroic Recordings. If you like the idea of this podcast, I have plenty more interviews for you. Just go to ComposerQuest.com and there you can stream or download any of the episodes. It's also available on Stitcher or iTunes and you can find ComposerQuest on Facebook and Twitter. So now, let's get to my talk with the guys from Duct Tape. Booty? Yeah. And? Stuart. You can call me Stuart as well. Stuart? Oh, okay. Yeah, he just hipster-fied his hair, so (laughs) he went from Stuart to Stuart. Let's call me Stuart because my real name is my my real name is Stuart, like uh, S G O E R D. Only that's to pronounce that in English is a little bit difficult. So call me Stuart. Um, and I pr- I'm a producer and DJ uh, under the name Duct Tape with uh, another guy, but he's not here. And Booty is your label manager. Yeah, yeah. Buddy, Buddy is is, is uh, it started as a friendship, <laughs> and um, I was making music on my own first, and then uh, Tim came by. That's the other guy I'm, I'm uh, making music with, and then uh, Buddy joined us as well because uh, he was doing international business administration. Business administration, yeah. That's the uh, that's a study, and um, yeah, he came with the plan to join forces and. Uh, yeah, that he would uh, start managing us. What is the music scene like in the Netherlands? Well, it's pretty big, actually. If we're talking about the dance industry, I think it's the biggest, one of the biggest export products. Of the yeah, world. it's it's like in the top 10 of our national export products. Yeah. Oh, really? Huh. Because we have these big guys like Armin van Buren, Chesto, Afrojack, etc. And ID&T, for example. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Shirt, how did you get started producing? Well, my father was always into music, and he's a singer-songwriter himself. I started playing uh, piano for four years. After that, I started playing guitar, and then I uh, thought, let's start a band. So I was in a rock band in the beginning. The lesbian bartenders? The lesbian bartenders. (laughs) (laughs) And I sang as well in the band. I was the lead singer. Oh, cool. (laughs) Yeah, maybe it's wisest if we don't send you pictures. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> or music. 
I guess one thing that I've wondered about is like when you're doing a live dance music set, how do you get people interested in what you're doing? It depends on the night. For example, we produce soft techno, but we played at electro parties in the beginning as well. And it was a really hard music, actually. We weren't actually making that. So on that night, we had to play a lot of loud electro music. And if we were playing there our own stuff, it wouldn't really work. It's really difficult to feel how your audience is going to react on, 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 the, on, the, on the songs you're going to play. That's a thing you have to learn, I think. Yeah. I'm not really good at it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting better, though. I'm getting better. <laughs> I'll, I'll add something to that. There's like this comparison that a good night out, this dance party is compared to like uh, the act of sex, right? So you need to warm up your audience and then you can build up and build up and build up. And then at around peak time, so let's say a 12 to 1 or 1 to 2, then you can really hit it hard with the music. But after that, if you have a switch of DJ or artist, you can't go, go over it with even louder music. You need to build down a little. And then once you do that, you can start building up again for what we call this the graveyard shift. So, for example, that would be the last hour or two hours. So what time is this in the morning? Well, it depends. Like, say your party ends at six, right? Then the graveyard shift is five to six. <laughs> How often do you guys do this? At the moment, we don't have a lot of performances, actually, because we're really focusing on the productions. Um, I have a normal job besides this, so I don't have all the time in the world to do this every weekend yet. And I have to focus on the productions first. And when they are good, we will be asked by uh, organizations of parties. And um, yeah, then we will have more performances. But first, the productions. That's the most important thing. So that we cannot only play music of other people, but of, uh, of ourselves as well. And that's where we want to go. How do you break into the dance scene like, how do you make tracks that stand apart from the multitudes of dance tracks that are out there? Difficult question. Yeah, <laughs> thinking outside. Yeah, thinking outside of the box. Actually, only the box is getting bigger and bigger and bigger every week. <laughs> so it's getting more difficult to do that. But yeah, it's it's and thinking out of the box is not always what you need to get out there. Like for right now, with the big audience of dance. The people who are getting most successful are not the guys who are differentiating. They're just the people who are applying the formula correctly and tapping into that huge audience of people who don't want to hear something new or special, but something big and simple. Hmm. So there's a choice there. And usually if you're going to differentiate a lot, maybe you're not going to get the big audience, but a niche. Yeah. No, but it's, it's a good question because like for us, we, we talk about this a lot. We were just talking about this before the interview. It's You see with a lot of artists that they score one commercial hit just so that that gives them the leeway to do something else. Hmm. And of course, as starting artists trying to get big, we're really focused on getting that one hit. But I mean, try find a formula for that. <laughs> yeah. Is, is there a track you'd want to talk about that maybe you could explain like some ideas you had as you were producing it? Well... The first track we released, actually, was called Le Dernier Soir. It's French for last night. It was a hit, actually, only we weren't prepared for it. I think Woody wasn't even in the picture. 
So we were clueless. We had no idea to do with it. And uh, it wasn't mastered or anything. It was just a, a SoundCloud upload gone viral. Yeah. Oh, nice. Before I was in the picture, they were very consistent about using SoundCloud as a platform. SoundCloud had just come up. They were putting out tracks once a month or something. Yeah, nice. So let's say an upload within a month would get, say, 2,000 plays. But the dernier soir went up, and in a week we were like 10,000 plus. And then booking started coming in, and the, the thing was unmastered, not really mixed, made on crappy speakers. But the, the ingredients you had, it was really catchy, like melodically. Apparently. <laughs> Their music has improved so much, but trying to get that one lucky strike, right? Because the, the SoundCloud platform and the, the audience was less saturated, I suppose. Yeah. But in, I think he's asking musically, like, what, what was it that made Le Soir tick, for example? It had the ingredients. Which are? It, it was, it was the, the, the formula. And at the moment, that music was really popular. I, it still is, actually. But what's the formula? And it was, um, yeah, what's the formula? That's a good question. <laughs> he's, Simple he's, melody. He's interviewing me now, right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was, um, it was original. It was something new. It was so catchy. It was so catchy. And um, we were spamming SoundCloud, like really spamming it, like it was illegal almost. <laughs> And that was that was what yeah that yeah. was that was that was that was also a factor. So <laughs> I think fifty percent of all the listeners was by spamming actually, <laughs> but it helped. So how do you? It worked. It worked really well. Oh, actually, how did yeah. you do that? Like, you mean just like sending messages to people or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like everyone who liked it, uh, we send private messages to, and uh, at some point we had a special tactic for it to do it. <laughs> we had strategies down. Yeah, right. we had we had a strategy down to do it really quick, actually. Only now it's not allowed anymore on SoundCloud because it went viral to do it like that. <laughs> so a lot of people were doing it, oh. but we, now it's among the first. Yeah, pioneers. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> so, what are some legitimate ways you've been marketing yourselves so with duct tape they have like their visual style and their name is a wordplay right duct tape duct tape mm -hmm. that's pretty characteristic for short and especially when tim is also there they have like this dynamic and they're just like fun humorous guys who are making this uplifting music and uh, the name and the image and the way we present it but also in social media communication is kind of it represents that and in, in terms of special tricks, like we've, we've really been leveraging blogs and music promoters. So these YouTube channels, I'm sure you know, Majestic Casual, etc. Do you? Uh, no, I don't. Actually, I haven't heard it. I'm, ah. I'm very bad at like knowing about music blogs. So. <laughs> right. Well, that's my cup of tea. Basically, there's been this really big trend of guys starting YouTube channels where they curate a channel based upon their own musical selection. So they upload videos with tracks that they discovered. And then people that like their taste subscribe to the channels. And there's many of them which have gotten out of hand, which have over 100,000 subscribers. 
So these guys are becoming even more powerful than labels so that when they decide to support an artist, you could get 200,000 plays in two weeks' time. Oh. And for me with the label, and essentially I'm pushing their music the most out of everyone, we're really focused on capitalizing on that. So getting the blogs and getting the YouTube promoters to get on board with our music. What do you think makes a track danceable? Is there any formula to that? I, I think there is. There has to be a groove. Like in every music, there's a groove. Again, it depends on the genre you're talking about, like dubstep. If we take dubstep, it's a really slow, hip-hop-ish groove in it. And, and, and with techno, it's a really simple groove, actually. It's just a kick and a snare, or only a kick. Dance music, there isn't really a difficult formula for it. You know the beatboard side? Yeah, I've taken a peek at it. If you look at the top 10 of all the tracks, they are there. It's the most simple and, 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 and awful, in my opinion, music there is. But it's in the top 10, and it makes a lot of people dance. So the only thing you need, actually, is a kick. I mean, if you have a really good kick... I disagree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, have you ever heard of a four chord song? Uh, you mean the four chords, like, but for example, there's these, these comedians, I'll send you a yeah. link in a second. Oh yeah, I have. Yeah. Maybe you could explain that to listeners. Yeah. So these guys, they made a video where they demonstrate how pretty much every classic pop song have the same ingredient, which is a four chord spaces. What I think makes hits or why these tracks are in the top 10 I'm sure there's different genres right so you would have like right now you would have really simple electro and five years ago we used to have the trans thing and five years before that you would have the really simple house and those are the things which really speak to the biggest audience but I think what they all have in common is that the lead melody is something which catches on like you listen to that track once and you go away whistling that track um, these are two different things, which, because he asked what makes people dance to music, right? Mm -hmm. A four-chord song doesn't have to mean they're dancing on it. No, that's true. So I think there, those two, it, you can combine them really good, but it, you don't need a four-chord song to dance. No, 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 you're absolutely not. Right? Yeah. It's, it's just like, I think a four-chord is a good example of what makes sticks, what yeah, sticks yeah, with yeah. people. So if you're looking at what dance tracks do best then four chords is an example i mean it's not the rule but i think that element is the the lead melody or bass line that really sticks and i think the ones that do for the biggest audience are the most simple ones Starting a track, how do you start a production of a dance track? Do you have a melody in your head first, or depends? In the beginning, I was always sorry. In the beginning, I was always I'm drinking beer. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> in the beginning, I oh, I always started uh, with a melody, but nowadays I, I do it both. Sometimes I start with a melody and. Um, when I'm going to work, I have to uh, take the bike for 30 minutes 
and and the trip back again for 30 minutes so this one hour and in that one hour i'm always making songs or melodies in my head and when i came home i will play that melody on the piano and record it or something but sometimes i just start with a beat because that's a really essential thing of dance tracks of course take a good listen to the biggest tracks in dance i'm not saying you have to rip it off but it's um the best artists are the best thieves right yeah yeah that's what they say. <laughs> Learn, learn from the best. That was, that was the, that's what I wanted to say. Yeah. So uh, sometimes I take a really big commercial track as a reference. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, and I just um, copy the beat or copy the melody, put another sound in it, and uh, when I hear other things, I just change the melody or change the groove a little bit, and then I, I have I have my own track. I think that's a really easy way to produce a really good track, actually. So how do you, once you have like the basic groove and the melody, how do you structure the rest of the song? Well, that's something I have to work on a little bit more because now we're focusing on a hit to make a hit, right? And um, a really important thing to do to, uh, to make a hit is to pay attention to the arrangement yeah. of, of a track. It, it has to be giving uh, new impulses all the time. So it's not... Like you have 30 seconds of just a beat and a melody, and then 30 seconds something else. There has to be a lot of things happening in that track to pay attention to it. So I always start with the main thing of the track, what's, what would stick in your mind. And from there on, I make variations of it. But to make new impulses in your track all the time, that's really difficult, actually. And I think, especially looking at Beatport, the biggest market for dance... You have like this, um, so you have a three-minute track, right, which is most common for radio. You always have this formula, intro, build, drop, chorus, go to break, break, build, chorus with a variation of the first chorus in the second, outro, right? And maybe you will break it again or differently and drop the chorus again or make the chorus progress but that's like the main arrangement type and it will even go this far in dance that either dance folk and radio stations or record labels, they will say, listen, we can't put this out simply because it doesn't conform to the formula. So we can't give this to DJs because they won't be accustomed to playing it. Like we would get record labels telling us to redo the tracks because it's missing percussion in the first 30 seconds. Huh. Musically, then sometimes it's way prettier to not do that, right? or to start awkwardly, do something that hasn't been done before. Yeah. But we need to, because otherwise, the labels are going to think, if we're going to sell this to DJs, and our biggest audience or customers are DJs, they're going to play this in clubs. And how are they going to mix in a record which doesn't have a beat? Yeah. So you're forced within the box, and then you have to think outside the box. and then it's. So the idea is that you get this hit with the formulaic one, and then what would you do ideally? Like if once you get this hit, what kind of things would you do with your music then? Uh, I, I like so, some tracks uh, are eight to maybe nine minutes and maybe three or four minutes in that track are uh, with beat. Right. So in the intro, there's maybe for three or four minutes, there's no beat at all. I think I will focus on longer tracks, tracks that are not really meant for clubs, actually nor radio maybe we should send them some samples of like the strobe like tracks like you have yeah. these really big almost classical comp 
Yeah. He does like these Hans Zimmerman kind of things. <laughs> like that would, it's completely dance unrelated, but you listen to it, you're like, holy fucking shit. <laughs> but that's not going to earn us money. <laughs> not yet. Not yet, but <laughs> maybe in the future. So film scarring, is that something you want to get into? Well, I, I really like it, actually. I really do. We're releasing a track, um, the 14th, and there are some elements of it, actually. Because when I listen to that track, I always see some kind of movie in front of me or something. What uh, is happening in this movie that you're imagining? There's a sample of, uh, of Kennedy in it. Oh. <laughs> I like huh. speech for, for, of, of Kennedy. Huh. And uh, I have no idea what's happening in that movie, but uh, I feel these cinematic emotions. <laughs> Is that a word? C- cinematic, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cinematic feelings like there's a story in the track. Many years ago, the great British explorer George Mallory, who was to die on Mount Everest, was asked why did he want to climb it? He said, because it is there, the space is there, and we're going to climb it, and the moon and the planets are there, and new hopes for knowledge and peace are there, and therefore, as we set sail, we ask God's blessing on the most hazardous, dangerous, greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. How did you pick the Kennedy speech? How did I do that again? <laughs> I think it was a reference to a really big hit again because I heard a track of a Dutch guy here. He's called Barkermuth. And um, he had a speech of Martin Luther King. Oh. I really liked it. <laughs> so I was searching for other speeches and I found this speech of, uh, of Kennedy. And uh, we did it again in a new track of ours, a speech of uh, Charlie Chaplin. Oh, cool. Yeah, <laughs> but I think we cannot use that because it's from uh, from from the movie the, the, uh, the Dictator. No, you can't. Oh, so I think I, I think we're not. He's just to alerting me to this now. <laughs> <laughs> we can't work that. Yeah, so, but it was it was awesome. <laughs> what are the copyright rules over there? Well, the thing is, our intended audience is worldwide. But then the Netherlands is really lenient, right? So you would be able to use something that's been used in the public domain and get away with it. But there's so so big of a chance that you'll get into trouble whenever something does break big that we'd rather not take the chance. Yeah. Like for me, when doing the label, we've had a few incidents where people send us music and actually sign for it being totally copyright free, right? And everything being original. And that it turns out that they still used samples or copied someone's idea or whatever. And of course, I don't want to be the person responsible for pushing that. So even when it comes down to simple sound samples, sound bites, even track samples, snares, those kind of things, but also speeches, vocals, which are most common, most of the guys aren't even aware that they can't use that without getting permission. Hmm. And clearing samples is such a time-intensive and expensive deal that we can't do that. Yeah. 
kind of on this subject, Booty, I asked you about what you listen for when someone sends you their music to be signed by your record label. I think what I really like is to see a huge amount of detail. And I look for that lead still, of course, because it needs to speak to the big audience. But refinement, like complexity, I really don't like the simple stuff. I like the intricate stuff. I like it when it's unconventional. So, for example, you have a lot of kid producers under 20 which are making dubstep, all using the saw bases you hear in Skrillex, their tracks, etc. And you have a lot of guys doing progressive electro or doing the Avicii thing, like the hands up with the orchestral kind of synths. Even if that can be very great work, that's, I mean, it's so common. We don't want to push that. So we look for outstanding, intricate music with these catchy melodies, which stand out. And then we don't sign the track just on the track alone. Like we have to check the artist, see whether they're dedicated and how willing they're, they're wanting to work with us because we're trying to start this community. So some guys send us tracks which are qualitatively good enough, but they don't show the intention and activity and motivation to actually work with us. And they have to have somewhat of a social media following to begin with. Yeah. He needs to have all this stuff sorted out. Social media, website, Facebook pages, etc. Everything needs to be active. It needs to show the potential of us giving it a boost and that actually resulting in growth. Yeah. Well, I think that's about all the questions I have for you guys at this point but it's been cool talking with you definitely one thing that i always ask people who come on the podcast to come up with a little bit of an intro theme for the podcast episode all right yeah sure no problem (laughs) i have a lot of projects and i think i can find something and i will adjust it a little bit and then i think i already know something awesome actually so That does it for my talk with Stuart and Booty. If you're interested in duct tape music, visit ducttape.com. Again, D-U-C-K-E-D-A-P-E. And I have links to all the tracks you heard in this episode at composerquest.com slash ducttape. Booty also has a cool blog about the music industry at heroicrecordings.com. If you'd like to get in touch with me, my email is charlie at composerquest.com. I'd be happy to hear from you. Now, it's time for... I've recently joined a video game making team called Untied Games, and I'm the composer and sound designer. And right now we're working on a puzzle game called Star Reaction. I thought I would go through one of my tracks and explain my production behind it. And also, I want to make use of this track somehow because it was actually rejected from the game. It's a little bit too all over the place for this simple puzzle game, but it was still fun to make, so let's get to it. The first sound you hear is a tubular bell synth, where I didn't really care which notes I was playing, just wanted to give it some mood. One technique I did with this main melody, you'll hear in the left ear, I have the synth with a delay on it. 
the right ear, a little more subtle, is my electric guitar, and I double the notes to match the delay in your left ear. After this section, you hear a low grunting chant come in, and that's my voice five times, and pitch shifted down an octave. Here's the original, which does not sound very cool by itself. The second time the melody comes around, I shifted everything down an octave to differentiate it a bit. And on top of that, I added some drums and a lead guitar line. But since this is a swung beat, I wanted some way to transition from the straight beat that came before it. So I did a little bit of precision editing with the tom part. I went in and shifted the off beats ever so slightly and made them more swung over time. I also used a resonator effect to go from a robotic to a natural sound. I'll leave you now with the full track, meant to loop endlessly on itself. Working title is Plinky. <laughs> 